Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Bible podcast. Just because you do it staccato doesn't make it that much different. It, but it keeps people on their toes. I guess. They're I, waiting like, well, okay, what's the end of this? They're just anticipating it. The Daily Bible podcast. <laughs> it's the <laughs> same <thing. laughs> Hey, um, do you know, we talked about National Hot Dog Day yesterday, but I've got something better than that for today. Please give me something, anything better than a hot dog. One small step for man. Cheese. One giant leap for mankind. Who said that? Uh, Louis Armstrong. Not Louis. <laughs> <laughs> no, Neil Armstrong. Louis, Neil. I mean, have you ever seen the two in the same room at the same time? No, I've never seen any of them okay. in one room at one time. Oh, one time. Okay, then we don't know. Okay, fine. Uh, July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon for the first time. That's amazing. Is it though? It is. It is amazing. If they really made it, I guess. Is that what you're Well, come on. Are we going to talk in no. those tones now? No, Did we're they really not. Made they it made the it. <laughs> Neil Armstrong <laughs> walked on the moon. I don't know, man. You seem like the conspiracy theorist kind of guy. I'm not, man. I, I and that's the thing. You're like, not. Not even close. A bunch of people that were in town last week wanted to go down and see where JFK was shot. And they were like, oh, the conspiracy. I'm like, come, come on, guys. You like, just dismiss it out of hand. Well, and you know what? You're right, Pastor PJ, because our news media is super trustworthy. They would not lie even if they were pressured to. I see where you're going with no this. Money, okay, straw man. No money, amount of money at all could ever tempt them to say something <sighs> untrue. You're you know right. What? I'm on your side, Pastor You know what, Pastor Rod, I, you know what I love about you? I love that you're not cynical ever about anything at no, all. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I'm, I trust that this is under God's care and sovereignty, but I, I'd, I'd like to not be naive and assume that all the forces that are at work are on our side. Wait a minute. So you're saying they staged the moon landing? No, no. Are I'm you willing to go on record right now, Pastor Rod, right now, on on record that they staged the moon landing? That's what I hear you saying? It's not what I said. Dude, there are so many people angry with you right now. <laughs> They're turning off our podcast right now. So I've heard people make some interesting cases for the faking of the moon landing, you know, the, the, the space race and, and getting the leg up over our, our competition. I think that's compelling. Okay, well, but it would probably be much more expensive to do that than it would be to actually go to the moon and to stage the fakery. I mean... Uh, I think about uh, what's his name, Richard Nixon and uh, Watergate, the Watergate scandal. Uh, what was his name? The prison ministry. Um, the guy who got saved and started a prison ministry. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Colson. Yep. Uh, he talked about how he was his involvement in that. So people couldn't even keep that secret for what is it? A couple weeks, a couple months. He says, it'd be much harder to fake something of that scale and for have sure. that be successful. For sure. For sure. I, look, I think he actually walked on the moon. And they hit the golf ball on the moon and planted the flag on the moon and everything else. So I think it's cool. Yeah. Hey, in the new earth, new, new Jerusalem, if space travel is a thing, are you going to sign up? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Psalm chapter 31, 32 and 33. Where's your connection to this, buddy? I got none. You got none. <laughs> got none. Next time. Except okay. in Psalm 33, we're going to talk about creation. And so maybe there's a loose connection there. Yeah, I think so. Very loose, but it's there. It's there. Hey, Psalm chapter 31, we've got uh, a Psalm of David. 
And this is a psalm that basically is David just expressing over and over again confidence in the Lord and expressing his trust in God. But there's a, a specific verse in here that may have jumped off the page to you based on uh, our New Testament uh, understanding of, or, or not understanding of, the, just reading of the, the, the crucifixion accounts because Jesus says in Luke's account in uh, Psalm 31.5, that line that David says, into your hand I commit my spirit. And Jesus quotes that while on the cross, as he is breathing his last, as he is dying, he says to the father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. And, uh, and David says it differently here because David is not dying while it, whereas Jesus was dying, but it's that statement of trust, right? I'm reminded of when it was said of Jesus that he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly, even mm-hmm. until the end there. Right. And that was that final commission commitment of trust of, of the son to the father saying into your hands, I commit my spirit here. David is simply saying of spirit, my entire life. That was the concept wrapped up in that term spirit in the Hebrew. It was his whole being, his very essence, his existence. He's saying to God, I'm going to trust you with everything. So two thoughts here. Uh, number one, you're going to see this device used all over scripture where the part represents the whole. That's called a literary uh, a literary, literary device called synecdoche. You'll see this all the time. Uh, you talk about someone's hand referring to their strength. You see the eye referring to their care and their attention. Um, so when you see this, know that that poetic device is called synecdoche. You'll see it all over the scriptures. But two, think about this. Jesus in his dying words, is quoting scripture. The Psalms are giving voice to his emotions, to his state of being. I mean, man, if that's not a good motivation for you to memorize the Bible, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. Can you spell synecdoche for us? Uh, S-Y-N-E-C, D-O-C-H-E, synecdoche. I think that's it. I don't know. Did Close I get enough. it right? Come on, yeah, go Google it's, this. It's good. We're good pausing the podcast to do a quick spell check. <laughs> synecdoche. Ding. Can you use it in a sentence? Into your hand, I commit my spirit. Spirit, a synecdoche. Okay. In reference to the whole life. Yes. Uh, yeah, but again, <laughs> this is the theme of, of David just trusting God in the midst of his circumstances. Verse 14, but I trust in you, O Lord. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. David is acknowledging God's sovereignty over his very life. My times are, are only going to go so far as you allow them to go. Psalm 139, we'll get there. But I, I love the line there that in your book were written before even one of them came to pass every one of the days of my life. Mm. And that's the similar thought here. Like God has already numbered our days and our times are in his hand. And so we are only going to live as many days as he has determined that we would live. And wow, David's expressing the same confidence here. And so if he's going to die because Saul is chasing him down or because Absalom is chasing him down, then he's going to die because Saul is chasing him down or Absalom is chasing him down, but it's not going to throw his trust in God. Do you remember our old, uh, our ascending pastor used to say that um, our days are, oh, we're invincible until God calls our cart or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I think that's what's happening here. Man, we are invincible until God says it's time. Even if you are super healthy and you eat only things, not hot dog, or if you run, if you do <laughs> something... <hot> <laughs> If you do healthy things, that's good and, and right. And, and certainly do those things, but don't think that you're in any way altering God's plan. Even your activity to preserve your life might be the very tool that God uses to extend your life to the very time that he wants you to live. Right. 
David's confidence is in a good God, which allows him to trust in that, right? And if you go down yep. to verse 19, he says, how abundant is your goodness you've stored up for those who fear you in the cover of your presence, you hide them in verse 20. And so David's not trusting some God that he doesn't know. David is trusting in a Lord that he knows to be good, which is what allows him to have that that abundant trust and that goodness. confidence, right? It's, not, it's rich, rich goodness. Yep, yep. That, uh, that quote that you were driving at there, George Whitfield was actually the original... Uh, no, one who said it. I think it was Pastor Mike. No, sorry. <laughs> George Whitfield said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. Well, and, Pastor Mike uh, probably said it first though. Yeah, well, maybe. But anyways, uh, Whitfield <laughs> said it. We know that for sure. So that's uh, Psalm chapter 31. Psalm chapter 32, uh, we get into a psalm that is one of what's known as the, the penitent psalms because David here is confessing or at least talking about confession and, uh, and forgiveness. And he starts out there with something that I think all of us as Christians can say amen to over and over and over again, which that is the, the concept that blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Wow. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And David's writing this without understanding the cross. And we get to understand the cross and read this and appreciate it, I think, so much more even than David did. Right. But he talks about the weight of sin in verses three and four of unconfessed sin when he's saying it was heavy on him, his bones wasted, the hand of God was heavy upon him, his strength was dried up. I mean, this is a man who's just desperate for relief and the relief comes when in verse five, he confesses. He acknowledges his sin before the Lord, does not cover it over anymore and confesses his transgression. And so the psalm kind of breaks down into two halves. Verses one through five, these are David remembering the lessons of learning to confess his sin. And then in the following verses, David is commending these lessons. He's imparting these lessons to us saying, make sure that, that you do this, that, that you're not, verse nine, like the horse or the mule without understanding. Don't be stubborn, in other words. Yep. But do what God is, is calling you to do and come to him um, and be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, verse 11. So uh, a psalm of, of penitence and confession. Hey, did you notice that there is a physical ramification to your spiritual plight? Verses three and following, you see his bones are wasting away and he's groaning all the day. He's having some very real physical responses to not confessing his sin, to hiding the sin that's upon him. In biblical counseling, we often try to point this out and say, well, how's your heart doing, right? How's your, how's your walk with God? Because your soul and body are intricately connected. They are a, a, a two parts that make up a whole. Whatever's yeah. affecting your soul is going to affect your body and vice versa. If your body's healthy, it tends to be that your soul is going to do decently as well. So make notice of this. There's times when you're running from God perhaps most times is going to cost you in physical ways. Strength dried up and the day and night hand is heavy upon them. Maybe there's a sense of depression or anxiety. Well, check your heart. Maybe there's something going on there. And, and honestly, isn't that, I mean, that's, that's a grace of God, isn't it? That, Indeed. that he provides that for us, that he says to us, uh, you know, in, in scripture that it, there is that connection because it's him. If he were to let us go and we weren't to feel any of that, uh, any connection there at all, it may destroy we, ourselves. We would destroy ourselves. We would run headlong into sin. Right. But that weight that you feel, that despair, even sometimes that depression that we feel that can come along with sin is not a bad thing. It's That's a gift right. of God to drive us back to the light. Jesus says those who love the light come to the light. Those who hate the the, the light won't come because they don't want their deeds exposed. Right. Here David is bringing willingly, not not be in a I'm caught in my sin kind of idea, but he's confessing, he's bringing this, the sin to light. And he's experiencing the forgiveness of God in response, which is such a freeing and encouraging thing. Yeah, it'd be like touching the fire and not feeling the pain of being burned. Right. We would not learn a lesson. Right. I appreciate that. Totally. 
chapter 33, then we get into the steadfast love of the Lord. And uh, just a, a, this, it's an anonymous psalm. Um, as it's not attributed directly to David, it's possible that it was David. It's possible that it was Asaph or somebody else. Pastor PJ. Uh, not me. I know for sure it was not me. Um, mm. But it's one that I, I love the themes of. Just, again, praising God, worshiping him, shouting for joy. Uh, we talked about dancing last time. Pastor Rod, should we shout for joy in the midst of our worship services too? I think I'm okay with that. You're okay with it? Okay. Some, sometimes there are songs that there's the shouts in the song. True. I mean, True. So I think that's okay. And sometimes there's the amen that comes out there yeah, every amen. once in a while. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One of those. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse five, the, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, let all the earth fear the Lord. You know, I read an article this morning that, um, was connecting to this that was apropos that was about our worship that is inspired by creation and the author of this article said this at one point he said don't get me wrong when we say things on our vacations like aren't those mountains majestic or isn't the ocean so powerful he said but too often i stop at meditation i stop the meditation short in the realm of my personal enjoyment I have to imagine that the mountains are saying something to me like, if you think I'm majestic, you should see the one who made me. Or the ocean is declaring, you should see the power of the one who put me in place and told me exactly how far I should go toward mm-hmm. the land. Who said that? Uh, it was a, an author in this uh, blog that I read. The title is Creation Asks, Can You Hear Me Now? Uh, Grimke Seminary Design Team was the uh, the one that put it together. So mm. solaecclesia.org. But I appreciated the author's point here because the author is saying, Creation is not meant to just... Not an end in itself. Right. We're not just meant to enjoy it and be like, oh, wow, look how beautiful that right. is. Start worshiping it. Right. But we need to allow that to drive us to worship the creator. And that's what he's saying here when he's appealing to creation. When, and anytime in scripture, creation is being appealed to. It's not so that we're impressed with creation, but impressed with the creator of creation. Amen. And because he's so worthy, I, you're, you kind of pass by it quickly, but verse three, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now, I, this, this hits me close to home because I am a worship leader, at least right now. And one of the things that I love impressing upon our people is the the need for us to give God our best. God should not get second-rate worship, second-rate devotion. He shouldn't get our scraps. Jesus deserves our very best. And man, if you just look outside for just four seconds, you'll have ample reason to, to render to him skillful and excellence, God-glorifying labor. Whether you're a musician or uh, a setup crew or a teardown crew or whether you're an AV team, whatever you do, hey, do it skillfully. As, a, as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord. So there's room to make a joyful noise to the Lord and to play skillfully on the strings. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Right? Indeed. Yeah. Well, as the psalm continues, he gets into verse 13 and following and talks about the Lord looking at, at, at mankind and realizing that our smallness in light of his grandeur and his power. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is mm. not delivered by his great strength. Mm. The war horse can't save. It's a Nay. false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Right? If you want God's attention, it's not about boasting in yourself. It's not about your accomplishments, your power, your glory. It's about, do you fear him? The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. Verse 20. He's our help for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. What a great 
conclusion to that psalm, just calling us to remember where our hope needs to be. It needs to be in this God that's so much bigger than we are. Um, the creator God, the one who is the, the deliverer, not the, the earthly powers around us, but in the God that o- ordains and oversees all of it. Man, amen. And you might notice too in verse 16, it might sound a lot like Psalm 20, verse 7. We talked about this one a few days ago. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And what a great place for us to put our trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Acts chapter 21, then the second half, part du. Du. D E U. Is that French? X. It is, yeah. Wow. Muy bueno. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Hey, so. Paul's back in Jerusalem now and being back in Jerusalem. And I guess it's worth noting in verse 16, he is staying at the house of Manasson. 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 Yeah. Manasson. Too many consonants in that word. Um, But on that note, it seems like this is a Greek name, a Hellenistic name. And so Paul is coming and he's traveling with a band that would have been made up of some Gentiles. And so he stays here in Jerusalem, not with a Jewish home, but it looks like in the home of a, of a Greek and probably to prevent stumbling. Right. But he makes his way to James and there's this interesting interchange between James and Paul here that, that man, I gotta be honest with you. I, I read it and it just, I struggle with it, with James instructions here to Paul. Because he's, he's asking Paul, hey, Paul, look, there's some Jews here that are upset because they think that you're teaching the Gentiles to disregard the law. Right. And that's not true. He wasn't. He wasn't teaching them to disregard the law. And so James wants Paul to, to kind of put on this show to take these four men to go get their haircut according to their vow and, and pay for this to kind of show the Jews that he's he's still on board with them. And it's almost like James is concerned. Right. And, and, and I may be reading it totally wrong and maybe it's, it's, it really is a concern for Paul's effectiveness as a missionary, but it almost seems like there's a little bit of a fear of man here, although Paul goes along with it and does it. And so again, I don't want to come down too harsh on James or Paul here. Who am I to do that? Mm. But it just, I, I, I don't, it, it didn't sit well with me when I read it. Yeah, I, I had to do some reading on this too because I did find myself kind of scratching my chin saying, what's happening here? Paul's an alpha. So I would expect Paul to stand up against Peter if Peter is compromising in any way. We've saw, we've seen this already in the scriptures, although we're not there yet. So I, I don't think Paul's unwilling to confront where confrontation is necessary. But what I think is happening here is something similar to what he does with Timothy. He circumcises Timothy. And right. Like, hey, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. So in some ways, Paul is all about this. He's contextualizing his his mission, his his ministry in order to make it as palatable as possible without compromising the truth. So I, I, I take it here that what's happening, at least my best read on it, is that James is helping Paul to avoid putting himself in harm's way unnecessarily. And these are believers that he's talking about. He's talking about believing Jews who think that Paul is saying something. And I think they're half right. I think they're half right. Paul is not telling him to throw away the law of Moses, but he is saying the law of Moses is not sufficient to save. It's not by following the law that we're saved. It's not by circumcision. So I think they're half right. They've got half the story, and that's usually how lies spread the best. They're half right. They're they're wholly false. So what's happening is is James trying to help Paul. Hey, let's not stir the rat's nest or the hornet's nest, rather. Let's just play it low-key. Right. And, and I guess this is when Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew or to the one under right. the law, I became as one under the law. Yeah. Right. It just, it was a, it was a, it's just a weird, weird interchange here. Well, let me throw yeah. one at you too. James asked Paul to pay for the, the vows for these four guys. Right. How do you know Paul has that kind of money, bro? Right. I mean, those are some costly sacrifices. <laughs> right. I'm thinking, how do you know me? Give right. me some money, bro. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you're probably right. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, I, I think that probably is what's going on. It's just, it's interesting. It's an interesting reminder of the tension that still existed between Jew and Gentile. 
and uh, and yeah, I mean to to show sympathy and empathy at least with the the Jewish believers there. I mean they were this is still all brand new to them. Yeah, we're reading this through two thousand years of church history. Going right. Well, what do you mean? Why? So much has been clarified. You don't need to do all this stuff. This especially because so much of this is ceremonial too, right? Like this is this is stuff that we don't do anymore. We're not taking Nazarite vows. We're not doing any of this stuff. And and James is asking Paul to submit himself to these things in order to, to not put a stumbling block. Yeah. Become all things to all men that he might win some. This is like drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes today. I mean, maybe not exactly because this is not kind of a pietistic thing, but you and I, we don't drink alcohol. We could, we have freedom to do that, but we don't drink alcohol in order to not create a stumbling block for those who would believe. Right. Right. Well, despite James' best efforts, there's a group of Jews that aren't believers that uh, mm. find Paul in the temple, and they begin to stir up the crowds, and they bring these false accusations because they're accusing Paul not only of doing what James was saying, hey, some people are thinking that this is what you're doing, which is to denigrate the law, but they're also accusing him of bringing Gentiles onto the temple temple complex, and they're accusing him that, it says in the text, because they had seen that he was hanging out with Gentiles earlier and just assumed that he brought them with him, even though that wasn't necessarily the case. Bad assumption. And so they, they get everybody in a tizzy and he's grabbed and he's dragged out of the temple and the gates are shut and they're seeking to kill him. Okay. So, so since the desperation at uh, that's going on here, you remember when Paul was stoned and left for dead, we have another situation with a crowd that's seething and wanting to kill him. And it says there that the whole of all Jerusalem was in confusion, which the mob we strikes again, commented on that earlier too, right? Yep. Confusion tends to mark all of these riots and mobs and, and, the the tri- tri- tribune and the the soldiers come up and it says that they they show up and finally when they show up they stop beating Paul so <laughs> so he's dragged out and they're beating him right Sorry, Paul yeah and they're beating him with rods and they're, they're, who knows what they're doing a- again this could be you look at Second Corinthians chapter eleven Paul's resume of suffering this could be another situation here uh, similar to, to what he had been through already to this point but the tribune comes up comes up and arrests him and orders him bound. And he's just that, I mean, it's so riotous that the soldiers have to carry Paul because of the violence that's around. They're, they're protecting him. Right. They're trying to lead him through and people are, are punching him, kicking him, whatever, spitting on him as they're trying to get him through the crowd. They have to, to carry him away as the crowd is just seething angry at the apostle Paul. And here's where we begin to see some of what will cause Luke and the others to, to plead with Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem because we've, seen by the spirit what's going to happen to you there should we see demonic activity behind this or is this merely people who are angry with paul for preaching the gospel or is this one of those yes answers i think it's a yes answer right i think that the enemy wants to do everything and anything he can to stop the propagation of the gospel and if he's going to use the the jews who at this point in time are standing opposed to the gospel in that process then he's going to use the jews who are standing opposed to the gospel in that process yeah i was kind of wondering maybe that was part of the confusion you know to conjure up the mob to get them riled up yep. i wonder if there is a sense of there's 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 what you see in the foreground with the actual people and then there's the background the spiritual yep. context whereby perhaps Satan and his his demon companions are stirring up controversy and stirring up dissension among them and whispering more lies in order to, to fire them up and get them angry at Paul. I love the, the end of chapter 21 too, because I think we see some of Paul's intellect at work here because he's got the tribune. The tribune is, is, is gotten him finally away from the mob. And he asks him a question. He says, Hey, can I say something to you? And he asks him in Greek and the guy's caught off guard. He's like, wait, whoa, whoa you know, Greek. 
And then he, he, we see that this guy has no clue who Paul is because he's like, aren't you the Egyptian that was raising this <laughs> revolt? Come on, dude. Really? Paul's like, no. Uh, no, I'm not. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. Uh, so he's a kind of flexible his, brag, his right? Roman citizenship <laughs> Just there. kind of a, you yeah. know. Cilicia is all. And then he, ba- he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Uh, here's Paul's missionary heart. The, the mob is outside and Paul's like, can I go back and, and talk to them? I need to tell them something. Oh, I'm surprised they, they have a great hush. Yeah. I'm, okay. All right. Yeah. The Lord opened the door. I'm, yeah. I, I don't blame him for walking through that. Yep. Probably because they're going, wait a minute, what? He wants to come back out here to us? <laughs> like what, what in the world is going on? They're yeah. probably shocked by that. And it says he motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. So again, here's Switching another flex languages. by Paul. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. Greek to him, Hebrew Aramaic, to them. Whatever he's got to do. Saying, oh, I love the cliffhanger. See, this is one of the chapter breaks that I'm all for. Because yeah. this this keeps you reading. Yeah. Whereas other chapter breaks, you're just con- concerned. Like, were you what were you doing while you were doing these chapter breaks? Clearly, right. you weren't paying attention. This one, I like. Right, right. So what do we take away from from this section with Paul? Well, I think... Create good chapter breaks. Create good chapter breaks, yes. If you're an author, create good chapter <laughs> breaks. There's your application. You can turn us off now. No, but for the rest of us, I, Paul was just being beaten by these people and they're lobbying false, false accusations at him and they're charging him. They want to kill him. And Paul cares enough about their souls that he wants to stand up and address them and preach the gospel to them, which is, spoiler alert, where he's going to be going in this next chapter. But like, do we have that love? Like, How many times are we looking for the excuse why we don't have to share the gospel with that person? Well, they you know, did this, or they said this, or they're, I know that they don't love God because of this, that, or the other thing. It, it, again, Paul was bloodied from their hands, and he still wants to go out and tell them about Jesus. How much more do we need to be ready and willing to go back to people, even people that insult us, even people that don't like us, even family members that have said awful things to us because of our faith in Jesus and still be willing to go back and tell them about Christ. And some of what's behind this too, Pastor PJ, is that Paul's not afraid to die. He already knew going into this hornet's nest that everything was on the line for him. Paul signed a blank check, gave it to God and said, cash it however you want. I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what comes. And if people are angry at me, so be it. I've got the acceptance of the God of the universe. I don't need your happiness or approval. Thank you very much. If people want to kill me, so be it. I've got the God of the universe on my side. I don't care about death. Thank you very much. Paul's Paul doesn't Paul cares. Let's make no mistake about it. Paul cares. Paul cares about honoring the Lord. Paul cares about doing the right thing. But Paul does not care if you don't like him. Paul does not care if you kill him. What can you do to somebody who doesn't care about his life in that way? Right. And you can't stop that person. Man, give us people like that. Make us people like this, Lord. This is what we need today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we get a church like this, man, we will turn the world upside down as it it said earlier in the book of Acts. Pray that we be a church like this, please. Absolutely. Please, please. Well, hey, we are so grateful that you guys tuned in with us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See, you didn't know I was going to end that way, did you? You didn't know I was going to end that way. That was a Looney Tunes character, right? Yep. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hasta the mañana. And we'll catch you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.